Bet365 sponsors The View From The Lane, and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The domestic season may be over, but we still have the closing stages of the Champions League and Europa League to play. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Now, where better to start than with the end of the Tottenham players' summer holidays? Charlie, are they back in training or are they still abroad? Uh, yeah, back in training. An important addendum to last week. Uh, they were there. The the dire Foyth holiday that we spoke about pretty forensically, they were there with their partners. Uh, it wasn't just a lad's trip. So it just it just important to get that clarification over. Um, but yes, they're back. I mean, they've been keeping busy. Lamella... Looks like he's had another f- quite weird hair dye thing. I don't know if you saw this. Um, but yeah, he's uh, there are pictures of him with a new do. So he's, you know, he's been look? keeping busy. Let me just get it up, actually. Silver Fox, uh, isn't it? He's gone full skull. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, it looks quite um, quite extreme, actually. But yeah, I mean, he did, a, he did a similar thing at the end of last season, didn't he? So I think it's kind of a, you know, just topping that up who was it we said but, he looked uh, like then oh um ted, uh, danson. ted danson yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah i mean expect expect probably quite a lot of new uh new looks when they come back so plenty to look forward to um as pre-season kicks off in earnest i think the last holiday picture i saw was uh delhi alley's trip with madison and grealish which was initially in ibiza and moved on to mykonos uh, and they were all training with some personal training in Mykonos oh, yeah. on Instagram. It's a generation of England playmakers who theoretically are all competing for the same place for the Euros next summer. Yeah. But they've all gone away on holiday together. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. It shows that they can put rivalry aside. <laughs> Who's been left out? Who else is there? What, which other sort of tw- 20-something England? Bar- oh, Ross Barkley, Barkley yeah. Mounts. And they got left out. Mm, quite a few. But it's like Southgate, I think Southgate will probably take maybe one of, or maximum two of those five players. Yeah, easily, yeah. Have either of you ever been to Mykonos? No. <laughs> I haven't, no. Never been to Mykonos, have you? Isn't it really windy there? Uh, I don't know if it's windy. No, I've never been. I'd like to go. It sounds really nice. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's not somewhere that I've been. Right now, we're offering listeners of this show the opportunity to try out The Athletic for free. You can enjoy all of our great writing on Spurs, including the inside story on Ledley King's appointment as assistant first-team coach, and our Premier League 60 Countdown series, where we've already featured a number of pieces on former Spurs stars, including Luka Modric, Les Ferdinand and Teddy Sheringham. Go to theathletic.com forward slash SpursPod to sign up for a 30-day free trial. That's theathletic.com forward slash SpursPod. And with Spurs players back in training today, we're expecting to be met by a new addition, Charlie. Yeah, Joe Hart. A curious signing. I mean, you'll... 
you know plenty about him and and his kind of journey. What 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 do you think about this for him and for the club? Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because so this is the news that Joe Hart is expected to join Tottenham as third choice goalkeeper, uh, working alongside Luis and Gazaniga for next season. Um, Hart's obviously a free agent, having been released by Burnley. I mean, it's weird because on the one hand, like he's extremely high profile. You know, he played for City for years, he's played for England at big tournaments. He's you know the most famous English goalkeeper of his generation. On the other hand, his reputation's obviously severely declined over the course of the last four years to such a point that he didn't really impress in his time at West Ham, Torino or Burnley. And I think maybe this is probably the right move to go and be a third choice keeper. I suppose at this stage in his career, it's really a choice between does he want to go and try and you know redeem his reputation as a first choice keeper at realistically a kind of bottom end of the Premier League championship or top end of championship club or abroad? Or does he want to live the Rob Green life as a kind of third choice or a big team? And clearly that's what he's decided. I suppose from Spurs' perspective, it makes sense because I think lots of the big clubs have realised that, you know, if you're going to have a third choice goalkeeper, it's it's good to get a homegrown one for UEFA squad purposes. So there was a tweet going around earlier, I've actually forgotten who who posted it. So Chelsea have got Rob Green, City have got Scott Carson, United have got Lee Grant, Liverpool have got Andy Lonergan. So it does make sense to have that spot filled by a homegrown player, given that you're only allowed, I think, 17 non-homegrown players in your Champions League squad. And obviously with Vorm, if Hart comes in for Vorm, then Spurs have got an extra, an extra non-homegrown place. Yeah, it does. It's, it's interesting, though, whether that would be better off going to a young player like Alfie Whiteman or Brandon Austin. Uh, though we were talking about earlier, Jack, and you, you, know, you made the good point that often clubs are wary of, you know... If your third choice is a young guy and then he's thrust into playing, then that is potentially quite a risk for his development. I mean, you know, in some ways, yes, it could be the making of him, but uh, it might come a little too soon, uh, depending on who it is. And obviously, in in that instance, it would make sense to, uh, you know, to have a safe pair of hands, no, no pun intended, you know, someone who's been around the block I mean they're going to be playing so many games they're going to have a couple of weeks potentially of Tuesday Thursday and weekend I wonder if they'll kind of all three will get games uh all three of Hart, Gazaniga and Lloris in those early weeks um but yeah I can definitely see the logic in bringing him in and you know reports from his time at Burnley say he was really really good around the place helped out with the younger keepers as well actually um you know and obviously they looked up to him uh, I gather that Kane and Delhi speak very highly of him. Obviously, they know him from from playing uh, with England, and you know, in this idea of uh, Spurs lacking big characters and and lacking people who've won trophies, you know, obviously Hart is certainly a big character, and he comes in with two Premier League titles to his name. So uh, th- there's def- there's definitely a logic to it, um, and and it will be interesting to see, you know, whether he does take on that kind of a similar role to what he had at Burnley, you know, helping out. Uh, with some of those younger guys as well, um, and who out of him and Gazaniga claims that second spot. I mean, it would be quite a fool from Gazaniga, given how much he played last year if he was then third choice. But um, yeah, you know, I don't think Joe Hart's just come to to sit around. Um, but it, but it is, it's just such an interesting story that, you know, four years ago, he was England's first choice keeper at the Euros. And now here he is choosing between, as you say, being you know probably a third choice keeper at a Premier League club or or moving down the leagues. There was a point, wasn't it? In that first season at Burnley, I'm pretty sure, I mean, he played quite a few games. Didn't he, didn't he sort of dislodge Heaton at one point? But this is kind of before Pope clearly was their first choice, I think. 
Am I, am I imagining this? So this he happen? played in the first half of, I think it was 1819, and they were really, really bad. Uh, and then he lost his place or um, Pope came back and their results picked up instantly. And apparently at the time there was quite an argument amongst fans as to whether Hart was a kind of you know, reason uh, for, the, for the decline Bernie had in the first half or he was a symptom of it and the fact they were... Um, you know, they were a team that was struggling and he wasn't very well protected, et cetera, et cetera. So he did get those games, but he uh, he's barely played, you know, top five football since then. I'm not sure he has played since like December 18. Um, so yeah, he's, you know, it's it has been quite an extraordinary decline, really. I mean, I, I think it, I think it's fine. I, I you know, I, I can appreciate, he's one of those people that, uh, that kind of, People, you know, pundits and, and fans and people on social media love to get stuck into. Um, and you can see why, because he, he was an England goalkeeper and that's always a, a position that people love to knock. Uh, and also his personality, his character is quite, um, sort of self-assured, confident, forthright. Uh, and when someone like that falls on hard times, I think people quite enjoy it. Uh, but you know, to come in, and, and I'm not, into, you know, I, I wouldn't be 100 percent sure that he'd be third choice. I think it's definitely possible he could be second choice. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you're right in what you say, Charlie, about possibly not having the best form or considering a lot of goals in that spell at Burnley. But I mean, Gazaniga, I'm really just not convinced by him at all. You'd go Hart over him as number two. I, mean, I can definitely see there being potential for that to be the case. I mean, I don't, mm. I don't think you know, I don't think anyone could really, realistically, and honestly argue that Gazaniga was head and shoulders over Joe Hart, right? I mean, I just, I just don't, I just don't really see it that way. Um, I mean, from what from from what we've read this afternoon, I think it was in the Times that they were suggesting that he had taken quite a big cut in wages on what he was on at Burnley. Um, yeah, he will do. I mean, and and that is important because I think if you're given the financial context. You know, I think that's a tough one to justify if you're paying big, big wages to a yeah. third choice keeper. I mean, if you're bringing him in to fill a quota, then is that really worth then paying that much? So yeah, he is he is taking a pretty sizable cut. I think. I mean, I, I, I put it this way: I think having two two foreign goalkeepers not playing, i.e., the situation Spurs were in last season with Gazaniga and Vaughan. I mean, that is. I think that's a mistake, really, for obvious reasons in terms of the, in terms yeah. of the the quotas and whatever. And I know. You know, Spurs have a few homegrown players and a few sort of uh, locally sourced. Oh, what's it? There's two types of homegrown player, aren't there? There's kind of club developed and then club trained and association trained. Right, thank you. Um, so I think they're kind of doing okay with that. They have a few players knocking around that, that generally keep them in in, in uh, like the right side of a line. But I, you know, I, I think it makes perfect sense to have an English goalkeeper sat on the bench. And you know, I don't I don't see it being a major issue. I'm really interested to see how how Hart does if he gets out on the pitch because he was, I think there's been, as often with this sort of thing, there's been quite a lot of retconning on Twitter about like was he ever good, and like James like James said earlier, people do love to have a have a go at him, and there's been quite a lot of glee I think on on Twitter over his decline over the last four years, uh, all the, you know because it's been it's been incredibly swift given that he was first choice at City, won two Premier League titles. Um, and then all of a sudden he got, you know, has a bad Euro 2016, gets bombed out by Guardiola, has three difficult spells at other clubs. And, you know, and he's obviously like been pretty poor in that time, but he was really good, like not that long ago in his first few years at City. And I think one of the strange things about Hart is this is like, there are kind of parallels here with David De Gea 
is that his peak years at a goal, as a goalkeeper were between the ages of like 22 and 20, 27, mm. which is generally what you would expect from an outfield player or a centre forward. And so we're not really used to seeing a goalkeeper decline like that from at the age of 27. But he's not that old. Like he's only 33, I think. Well, he's 33 this year because he's a 1987 birthday. Yeah, it's similar to uh, like age and career trajectory to Paul Robinson, who I interviewed earlier in the season. And, and he talked about this, you know, that... And and he he had a quite dramatic fall as well from being you know England and Tottenham goalie to then losing his place for both basically never playing for England again and moving to Blackburn and then uh, and he was at Burnley as well actually and I think it is hard once you you have someone who isn't seen to rate you you know you're not called up by England anymore or in Hart's case there was both that but also the very public I mean Pep Guardiola really. Uh, since he hasn't recovered from that. I mean, that was just after Euro 2016, wasn't it? That Guardiola came in and basically made it clear that he wasn't a modern day goalkeeper. And I was talking to uh, you know someone who knows quite a lot about this today. And he was saying, you know, <laughs> he's no Allison, obviously uh, with a big understatement. You know, he's not, the, 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 that position has evolved uh, where you really need to be good on your feet. You know, previously that was a bit of a niche area that we associated with maybe Barcelona or Real Madrid, but now more and more teams are playing that way and that's not really his strength. Um, so it, it feels like a combination of lots of things that, that, you know, the game's changed and 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 once you, you know, he lost his place and it, it just feels like he, he lost a foothold and then has been just falling and falling and falling and maybe the confidence goes and you, you try too much. Um I, I, you know, I, I mean, I can see, like James says, that I think he, it was felt he had a lot of hubris and kind of thought a lot of himself. So I can see why uh, people have enjoyed, you know, have had a bit of Schadenfreude about him, about him declining. But I, I do think it is quite sad for someone that, you know, w- was genuinely good. Like you say, Jack, it's important not to just rewrite that and forget that he was really good for a time. Um, so may- maybe he'll have a a renaissance at Tottenham. I mean, I can, you can see a move like this giving him a bit of confidence back, right? I mean, even if even if he's walking through the door and not expecting to be number one, you can you can kind of see that being at a club, you know, being at a big club, playing in Europe in a massive stadium, even if it is empty to start off with, for a manager like Mourinho, it's going to give him a bit of a confidence boost. And we've talked a couple of times since Mourinho took over about the the difference in expectation about the things that Larice is going to do. I he's not he's not a sweeper keeper anymore. He's not really being asked to do that. He's not being exposed in that way. Um, and you know, in my opinion, that's really helped Larice. And he's played. I think it's it's look it's felt like he's played quite a lot better in the last few months because of that. And you do wonder whether that may also be something that helps Joe Hart out. You know, he's mm-hmm. not going to be. He's not going to be like required to come darting out and make interceptions and whatever else. He's going to be, you know, on his line, sort of playing in a sort of more old school, traditional way. And you do wonder whether that, like the combination of those two things, may give him, may sort of pep him up a little bit and, and help him out. I think that's a great point. That's and a I really also, good point. Yeah. I also think that I also think that you're right about Mourinho. I think Mourinho is a very good ego massager. Uh, and I think it might be that he's exactly the kind of man who's need to, to you know, help regain some of Hart's confidence, which I imagine is probably shot to pieces in the last few years. So if Hart plays for Mourinho, he would be the only goalkeeper, I think, on that list oh, that yeah. we discussed the other day oh, yeah. of uh, play, players to play for Mourinho and Guardiola. Did, did he actually play for Pep, though? Did he actually play in a game for City? Yeah, he, he played one or two. He got, like, ironic cheers. I think he played a, a Champions League qualifier oh, against right. Al Bucharest. Yeah. 
Um, and he got like ironic cheers when he kicked the ball. And to be <laughs> honest, he was really good about it and like did a sort of jokey interview after. Because uh, it must have been, it, it must have, it must have hurt actually that whole process. Um, I was going to say, I was looking this up earlier, and I was going to say Victor Valdez, but because obviously Victor Valdez played uh, yeah. for Guardiola, but Mourinho sold Victor, basically Valdez went the summer that Mourinho arrived at United, sold him straight to Middlesbrough. So I don't think Valdez ever played for Mourinho at United. No, he wouldn't have done. Just just on that as well, that that makes me think about um, a conversation I had with Mark Schwarzer a few months ago, and he had a similar role to Hart because he came in as, uh, I mean, he was second choice, but you know, at Chelsea, and it was while Czech was there, and it was clear that he, you know, he wasn't going to be ever going to be first choice. But he said Mourinho was amazing at uh, kind of making him feel like a really important part of the squad, and you know, told him to speak to the players more and you know that they really respect you and you know you need to impose yourself a bit more and he really empowered him he said that was really really valuable didn't Schwartz then play in a Champions League semi-final I think yeah he he played against Atletico Um, he came on after about 20 minutes in the first leg and then played the second leg Um, but it clearly made a big impression on him and you know was a real um, kind of second wind in his career so yeah maybe you know I'm sure he will be saying all the right things to Joe Hart you can imagine you know that he I, I know Mourinho uh, has been impressed with him. I don't, they don't know each other well, is my understanding, but you know, there's a lot of mutual respect there. Um, and he's, heard, you know, he'll have heard from those guys in the dressing room who have played with him, you know, really good things. So I, I think Mourinho will enjoy working with him and will really enjoy the type of character that he is. And um, and yeah, trying to big him up and give him give him this kind of uh, you know revitalization at the end of his career. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom while in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving! And also in the transfer market, Charlie, um, the departures of Luke Amos and Oliver Skip. Yeah, so Amos is on a permanent deal. He's moving to QPR where he uh, he spent last season on loan. Um, yeah, so he, Amos is a defensive midfielder who he looked like he might be making a breakthrough under Pochettino in summer of 2018. He played a lot of preseason. He came on on the opening day and then did his ACL. So was then out for a year um, and then went to QPR last season and did quite well and really enjoyed being there and enjoyed working with Mark Warburton. Uh, Middlesbrough was the other club in the mix uh, for him, but obviously made sense uh, going to QPR where he'd been and you know made lots of close friends uh, in, in that QPR squad. And I think it's a good move. You know, QPR... Good pedigree of playing young players. Um, you know they know him, and and yeah, it, from the sounds of it, it's not a huge transfer fee, but there are quite a lot of add-ons, you know, with appearances and sell-on fee and that kind of thing. So it sounds like a you know a smart deal for everyone. And then Ollie Skip, who uh, we knew was going to be going out on loan this season, and it's been confirmed, uh, maybe not officially, but yeah, my my understanding is that that's 
more or less done. It might have been confirmed by the time you listen to this. Uh, he's going to Norwich, which on loan uh, for the season. And there's a lot of interest in him from uh, Premier League clubs and from clubs in Germany and Turkey. Uh, but Norwich feels like a really good fit. Um, you know, obviously they, again, they're, they're a team that plays lots of young young players. Um, they play good football. They're going to be going for promotion from the championship. Daniel Farker is very well respected. Um, so yeah, it's an exciting one. And he's at an age, I mean, he, he turns 20 in September and just and just really wants to be playing. You know, Tottenham, um, you know, would, would like to have kept him for this season, especially given how many games there are going to be. I guess the problem might have been though that he, he might have played a you know a reasonable amount in September October when there's that crazy congestion. But then you know what happens after that. So you you know you need to think of uh, the longer term. And I think you know the the club are totally happy with that. And uh, he's excited about you know the, the chance to play more regularly. So uh, yeah, two two kind of defensive midfielders really. But yeah, skip. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll learn a lot from this come back and be pushing for the first team and I should say as well we, th- these are two players we've interviewed actually over the last year so you can check them out if you haven't read them already and both, both really good guys uh, really smart um, and yeah I mean I expect there'll be quite a lot more kind of loan uh, loan departures in uh, in the next few weeks um, you know they'll Spurs will have to decide what to do uh, with Alfie Whiteman and Brandon Austin, who are two of the young keepers, as, as to whether they loan them out with with Joe Hart coming in, um, and and you know, I think for most Spurs fans, the uh, more frequent loans has has been welcomed. That was something under Pochettino that uh, you know some felt that he was too reluctant to loan players out, and we've seen with someone like Kyle Walker Peters who. He only got his loan under Mourinho and has now left. There was a feeling that he stagnated a bit, uh, the fact that he never was loaned out. Um, so, yeah, I think that's you know slightly different direction that the club are going in and we'll have to see how those work out. I mean, you know, that varies so much from player to player. With so many fixtures in the start of the season, especially those weeks where they're playing League Cup and Europa League at the same time, with Skip and Parrot, obviously the two big-name players from the academy at the moment, does this mean that we'll probably see more of the first teamers in those games instead of the young players that we might have hoped to see, Charlie? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? As as supporters, I think you naturally you think about all the possibilities and who's who could play. And you know, I've I've seen a lot of kind of you know, Mourinho might name three separate teams and what that would look like and all of that. Um, it's difficult to say because it is pretty much unprecedented to have that level of congestion but what we do know is that Mourinho generally likes a smaller pool of players um to choose from so I don't know it I mean maybe maybe with the it, it depends as well if Tottenham are drawn away and away you know in the league cup and um and in the Europa League, because if they're in Azerbaijan and Newcastle, for instance, uh, in the same week, then you're going to have to make some pretty difficult decisions and probably go the way of Liverpool uh, in the Club World Cup when they were playing in the League Cup as well. And basically, you know, obviously they they, they left everyone. Uh, oh, sorry, they took all their first team squad with them and then had to play a youth team. So you may be in a position where you're having to do that, but it does depend on the draws because if they if those are two home games, then you have a bit more flexibility. Um and you might not see quite so many of those younger players. Um, but but again, I mean, I think you just have to think beyond that, um, given that that will only be for a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that I think a lot, a lot of supporters would like to see these young players given a chance. You know, guys like Harvey White, um, 
and uh, Malachi Walcott, those, those sorts of, you know, who, who did actually come on uh, against Leipzig and the away game in the Champions League, you know, see, see them get a few minutes. Obviously, Tanganga, the way he stepped up last season was really encouraging. Um, so yeah, that, that could, that could be a trend, but, um, yeah, I, I think generally Mourinho would, would like to kind of keep his squad a bit more compact and, you know, not have too much chopping and changing. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. Elsewhere in Spurs World this week, Ledley King has been officially confirmed as the new member of Mourinho's coaching team, which is, of course, something that Mourinho flagged up after the Crystal Palace game at the end of the season. Um, Charlie, what can we expect from Ledley in this role? Yeah, so I've done a big piece on this, actually. went up uh, on Sunday, so that's kind of there for you to read if you haven't already. But yeah, I mean, he's... It's going to be a combination of things. I mean, he won't be... He doesn't have his coaching badges yet, so he won't be doing a kind of out-and-out coaching role, but he will be helping out with the training. Uh, He's going to be there partly in a kind of mentoring capacity as well to like smooth that pathway from uh, the academy to to the first team. Uh, Spurs don't have like a loan manager like a, like a lot of clubs do. So he, he, but he's done quite a lot of that. Like last season with someone like Luke Amos, he was chatting to him pretty regularly uh, and he'll keep doing that with, uh, with some of those young guys. So you, you'd expect someone like Ollie Skip. Obviously he'll be out of Norwich, uh, he'll be out of Norwich, but you know, can be talking to Ledley. Um, but it feels like a smart move. You know, he he's so well respected at the club. And as I reported in the piece, you know, he's been really valued by Mourinho the way that he, from more or less as soon as Mourinho came in, uh, Ledley King made a really big effort and sat down with him and talked about the club and its ethos and introduced him to, you know, everyone from all the different departments. Because, you know, if you're ever at Hotspur Way, the Spurs training centre, you'll see Led- Ledley's, you know, he's often there. And he, he is someone who, it's a cliche, but he does seem to know everyone at the club and he's very friendly and, you know, chats to everyone. So I think he'll hopefully be a really good link for Mourinho is the idea, you know, someone who can, you know, talk to pretty much anyone and, and just has that rapport with the players, you know, from Harry Kane, who they overlapped with a bit and, you know, he's got all his respect, but also those young guys, he's such an inspiration to them. You know, he's, he's, he's London born. They can look at him and see maybe some of themselves in him and, um, you know, and he can talk their language. It's it's become increasingly common that, you know, you look at someone like Chelsea, they've got like Ferreira, Makaleli, uh, Ashley Cole, Kudicini, players who are playing fairly recently, you know, and, and I think that makes a big difference for players, you know, that they, they can really trust that they know what they're going through. Um, so he could be really important in, in helping out with the younger guys and as he gets a bit more experience on the coaching side and, and gets his badges, uh, doing more of that. And he has already been helping out Mourinho with some defensive stuff um, and he'll do some individual work so yeah quite a wide-ranging brief but a, but a potent, a, but an exciting move for the club and I think you know everyone's really pleased to see him given a more prominent role because he was doing this kind of club ambassador thing uh, previously. James you must be excited by Ledley's promotion into the coaching staff. Yeah I think it's good I think it's I think it's a positive I mean I I know there's been a little bit of um, skepticism from people who think it's just purely a uh, a sort of PR move for Mourinho to win over those sort of lingering doubters among the fans. But 
I think I think it's a logical one. It sounds like they've they've built up a bit of a relationship over the last few months, um, as Charlie has written about in his piece. Uh, and I, and I think it makes sense to have someone who gets it, quote unquote, uh, which is something that Spurs haven't really had. I mean, I haven't. I can't really think of the last time. I suppose it would be Tim Sherwood, I guess, or the last person they had sort of in a in a senior coaching role who had played for the club. And, and maybe maybe that's a bad example. But yeah, I think it's good. I mean, he's he's universally adored by the fans and at the club. So it's kind of a bit of an easy win, really. Uh, and, and if it's a natural fit and it works well, then yeah, then well, I'm all for it. You have a good Ledley King story, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> uh, the, the main reason I mentioned this to you before, Jack, was that, that really I just couldn't, I couldn't believe I'd never mentioned it to you before. Um, okay. And to call it a story is probably, uh, probably overdoing it slightly. It's really just a nugget, which is that I have been on the London Eye with Ledley King. Wow. Yeah. Oh, like by accident, by happy accident or like, no, it's an interview for 442. Oh, wow. Uh, and oh, was he nice? Yeah, of course. He's a lovely bloke. Lovely views as well. Uh, and he's always going to remember that interview, isn't he, if you think about it? So he should theoretically always remember me. Right? That's actually a better story than I thought it was going to be when you told me in advance that you had a Ledley King story. It's probably a shorter story than you thought it was going to be as well, though, right? Yes. I can yes, pad so it out with some is. stuff if you want. I mean, I, you know, I, what, we saw Big Ben. We saw... What else can you see from there? Have you been on the London Eye, Jack? No, Never? Never. It's great. No, you know what's weird about London Eye? I'm, I'm going to riff on this a bit now. Uh, people that go on it are people that don't live in London generally. But what's the right, point? Right, if, you, right. if you don't know London, there's kind of no point going on it and looking at London from a different place. Do you know what I mean? It kind of feels like yeah, yeah. London isn't one of those cities with like loads of iconic sort of um, elements of a skyline. There's like let's St. Paul's and I guess the Shard now, which I guess Paul, one, it must have been there when I went up, but I'm not sure. Um, when did the Shard open? Sorry, I know we're going really off track now. Uh, I don't know, 2010? Mm, yeah, 2005? early. I would say early part of the 2010s. Interesting. Have you been up the Shard, Jack? Uh, not to the top, no. Oh, come on, Charlie. Have you, I can't, I can't. Now is probably quite a good time to do all this stuff, just because there were like, not many tourists in London. That's true. So. But I mean, the principle is the same, right? It, it's, it's only really worth doing these things, in my opinion, if you know London, because then you can go up and you, know, you can see all the places you've seen from street level from miles away. You must be able to see the new stadium from up there. Anyway, if you live in London, do those two things. And if you don't, don't bother. <laughs> is it open? Is it open? The, is yeah, it, I, I, I actually went past London Eye the other day and it was open. And I did actually think, oh, oh wow. I could go in there and recreate that. So did many you think about Ledley King? Of course, I, I'm always thinking about, statistically speaking, I mean, it doesn't matter which attraction <laughs> I'm in. I'm always thinking about Ledley King. Also, James, I wanted to ask you, how, how important is it to have like... A, an ex-play on the coaching staff because at some clubs, so Man United, they've had gigs, they've had Phil Neville, they've now got Michael Carrick. The United fans are the worst for it. Does it actually matter to have someone who gets the club in that sort of job? No, not really. I mean, I, you know, if you look at the previous uh, five years of Pochettino or whatever it was, you know, there wasn't a former player in a senior role in the coaching staff really was there. So um, it seemed like he got it or he got it sufficiently for uh, for it to work on the pitch. So no, I don't, I don't, I mean, that's kind of probably exposed that as a bit of a, of a fallacy. And it has been something that Spurs have chased a lot. If you look at the managers they've had, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, Venables, uh, Ardiles, Hoddle, I'm probably missing some others. George uh, Graham. Players. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> 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 you know, they, they've had a few former players and they're, they're, they've long been cries for Klinsman to be manager. And I'm sure when Mourinho gets canned, people will be, will be wanting uh, Ledley King to be manager. Scott Parker. Yeah, yeah Scott, Scott Parker. Parker. I mean, he, I, I did. Th- there was a moment where I just think, oh, Scott Parker as a Spurs manager would be quite good. But um, he's doing all right, isn't he? 
Yeah, he's doing well. But it's also happening a bit because they've done, they've uh, revamped the the academy, and you've got good segue. You know, you've got Ryan Mason in a uh, in a prominent role. Chris Powell's come in, and he's not he he, uh, he didn't work for Spurs such, but he's a Spurs fan, and you know, is thought to you know really understand the club and that sort of thing. And obviously, Mason has has that recent history, so I, th- I think it Matt is something Taylor we're going to see more of. Well. Matt Taylor, Spurs fan, yeah, exactly. So there's there is a move towards that, uh, and it'll be and it will be interesting, you know, see see if that does you know what what that does certainly at academy level. And I think one of the biggest challenges for King, or one of the biggest things that he could contribute, is really engaging with the younger players because, it, you know, we've been saying about Mourinho for a while that if there's one question mark about, or there's plenty of question marks about his work in the last sort of five, ten years, but I think one of the biggest ones concerns his ability to get through to the next generation of players. Like, he, he just hasn't really had much success with it, to be honest. Uh, you know, these are young players who are raised through academies and, you know, see the game in a slightly different way from the older generation that Mourinho had so much success with. So if King can be a kind of link to those guys, if he can... If he can get through to them, perhaps more than Mourinho might be able to, then there is a big potential upside there for Tottenham. That is actually where it might become quite difficult for Ledley King, I think, because he could end up becoming like the sort of dressing room diplomat between, you know, and I'm not suggesting things are going to turn sour under Mourinho at some point, but we've seen what's happened at literally every club club he's been at. And if, if there is a situation where younger players aren't exactly falling into line, and Ledley King is caught in between. That that could be quite awkward, couldn't it? But that is something that's been, you know, people I spoke to for that piece, they, they mentioned that, Jack, that that is something potentially that it is really important having someone like that who can, like, as I say, you know, talk the language more of the players and understand them that bit better. And also, he, someone I spoke to was saying, like, a manager just doesn't have the time to do everything. You know, he, he has to be focusing on the short term in the middle of the season on getting results and that kind of thing because if you lose a few games you're under a huge amount of pressure so it's partly just managers have to prioritize certain things and they might not always have the time to go and have a one-on-one conversation with a player who's on the fringe of the first team squad so if you can have someone who who that is more of their role and their brief then that can make an enormous difference also we've got the new trailer for the forthcoming amazon documentary on tottenham uh, the documentary starts with its first three episodes on Monday the 31st of August and here's the brand new trailer. You said that people have perceptions of you. What do they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace a feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Oh, leave it out. It's only the second time that I get a job in mid-season. Never seen someone covered Twitter, Instagram. Oh my god! Pain! If you make a lot of noise, I give one more day off. What happened to us this season is impossible. The last thing Spurs need right now. How do we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Play aggressive. How is the rat? Play, please. And believe that you can win. Courage, honesty, friendship, 
That's the most important thing in life and in football. James, what do you make of it? I mean, I have two main take-homes from that. The first is that when Mourinho says, you're nice guys, but nice guys don't win things, it cuts to Harry Winks and he's got like a calmness look on his face. I mean, it is a bit, it's a bit unfortunate. Uh, and two is that I can't believe that Aurier played every game, uh, basically under Mourinho, having absolutely destroyed his trainers. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was great. Yeah, that was good. My main impression of it was, I mean, obviously like Mourinho is the star of the show. Uh, you know, we I think Mourinho was far more on board with doing Amazon and all the kind of invasiveness and the interviews that that required than Pochettino was. Um, and if you're if you know if you're Amazon, you're making this show. It's fantastic to have the most famous manager in the world be you know be willing to be such a big part of it. And it felt you know I mean look obviously Pochettino will be part of it. And I, but watching this, I kind of got the sense that it would be very 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 much centered around Mourinho, even more so than. Like the City one was based around Guardiola because Guardiola didn't... I don't think Guardiola did much stuff to camera on the City one. It was mainly the players talking about Pep. Whereas with Joe, this is going to be very much the Jose show. Um, and I love the bit. There's a bit where you can see Mourinho looking at this vast wall of TV screens somewhere in Tottenham. And it looks like the bit in, I think it's The Dark Knight, where Lucius Fox has... Uh, has assembled that kind of system for watching over every, every, everyone in Gotham and then he decides to destroy it. <laughs> Christ, that's bombed. That's terrible. What, what a terrible... Um, I was expecting a little bit more uptake for that bit of banter. All, these, oh well. all these Batman films, they all, they all blur into one, don't they? Is that the one with George Clooney in? Oh, no, it's the Christopher Nolan one. <laughs> Is that your favourite one, James? Batman and Robin? <laughs> yes, great. Is that the Jim Carrey? Is that Jim- that's not the Jim Carrey one, is it? That one actually is my favourite. Jim one. Carrey's Batman Forever, yeah, 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 as well yeah. you know. Okay, you're definitely doing a bit here. <laughs> no, I'm not. This is like when um, another uh, you know, a friend of mine who works with a different publication told me this morning he, he'd never seen Goodfellas. I couldn't believe it. What pizza? That's a great film. Haven't seen it for ages though. Uh, it's, I, apparently, it's just been taken off Netflix. Has it been cancelled? I watched on Netflix really recently, but apparently, it's since been it's since been taken off. It's so good. It is amazing. Yeah, I mean, with with the uh, Prime documentary, I mean, are you guys, how excited? Because like, I was talking to someone about this, and I, and I, even though you know, like with all, like with the City one, even though you know that you know clearly it's not going to be like a warts and all expose because you know the club <laughs> would never agree to that. But even in spite of that, I am just really looking forward to it. I think like the City one, there were just so many moments that I found really interesting, um, and like so this one, especially given how close we are to the subject, like. I am just quite excited about it. I'm really excited. I'm, I can't wait. I think it's going to be like, I, I mean, the uh, behind the scenes sports stuff, I think is always really interesting. And even more so because it's like, uh, you know, we, we would have, it would have been showing us games and events and situations that we know about yeah. or reported on or games we were there at or stuff that we didn't know about that we'd like to, to learn more about. So I think it's going to be fascinating mm. just to learn more about this ridiculous season that Tottenham have just had on and off the pitch. I definitely think it's, it's interesting to kind of get, to get more of a taste of a, the dynamic between the players, like what the kind of banter hierarchy is and whatever else. Because that, I mean, that that's what's really important, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, certainly. And I also think like, I just hope it's a little bit more it contains more bad stuff than the city one. So the city one was, I found it kind of interesting as a city fan, but I also felt like it was, there just wasn't enough stuff in there that I thought city wouldn't be happy with. 
Um, the the only the only like kind of juicy bit is a hilarious row between uh, Guardiola, Yaya Toure, and Delph, where I think it's Yaya Toure, where Delph is trying to bollock all the City players because City are playing badly, and he says something like, uh, "Lads, you got to focus on the basics of football. Defenders defend, attackers attack, win your individual battles." And Guardi- you can tell this is like runs so counter to Guardiola's <laughs> understanding of football that it's just a case of winning your individual battles. That Guardiola looks like a kind of robot that's short circuiting, <laughs> and he just. And he and he's also unhappy with this like the idea that players would be shouting and stuff or whatever. And he goes, "Fabi, Fabi, Fabi, no, 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 Fabi, football, it's so complicated." <laughs> and it's and it's like I mean, so much of Guardiola and Manchester City and how he approaches the game and his tactics and his man management is tied up in that tiny little interaction. And I watched that and I thought, "Wow, that is absolute gold!" Like, a, uh, I would love. It just teaches us so much mm. about Delph and Guardiola and everything else. Uh, but I did think that the city, the city one, I would have, I just basically just wanted more of that. And also, like in a sense, that struggled as drama because it was one of the most successful seasons in the history of English club football. So it's difficult to generate drama out of a team getting 100 points. Uh, whereas obviously with Spurs this year, they sacked their best manager since Bill Nicholson. They brought in a new guy. It was. It went. It looked like it was going pretty badly, and then football got cancelled for five months, so or three months rather. Uh, and so, in a sense, like there's already so much more drama and plot and intrigue and built into the yeah built into the events of this that could never have existed in the city one, and that's why I'm confident about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I just don't think you can tell the story of this season without there being some bad bits in it. You can't just sort of pretend that you know they they can't flash at the bottom of the screen when Spurs are losing 7-2 seven to, seven to Bayern Munich they can't say well actually Barcelona lost 8-2 so it's not that bad <laughs> you can't you can't just kind yeah. of strip away that context it would be so disingenuous to like to, to paint it as a positive uh, a positive season because it just hasn't been but i think if you can get like 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 you say Jack a bit of a character study on Mourinho and a few of the other people in that dressing room then i think it's still a worthwhile thing also it would just be interesting to know who emerges as interesting characters and you know prominent people like in that city one the fact that delph was you know a disproportionately prominent part of that documentary uh it would just be, it would be cool to see who who are the guys that actually have a lot to say and who the camera likes harry's sponsors the view from the lane a podcast brought to you by the athletic harry's was founded by jeff and andy two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors and now by taking less profit Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. As a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash lane right now. That's harrys.com forward slash lane. One final bit from today. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino is back in the news this week, uh, being linked with the Barcelona job, replacing Kike Setien after Setien, Setien's Barcelona were absolutely humiliated by Bayern. Now, it's, just, it's literally just emerged this morning that Pochettino is not going to get the job. At Barcelona, because it's going to Ronald Koeman, kind of. Biz- I, I, I think that's a bizarre, bizarre decision, given the relative records of Pochettino and Koeman in management. But there you go. Um, but it's kind of interesting because 
Pochettino has been linked with Barcelona in the past. And back in 2017, when Barcelona were replacing Luis Enrique with Valverde, uh, Pochettino was linked with it. And there was like a kind of interesting back and forth. I don't know if you guys remember when Pochettino was linked with it. And then he basically went went to Barcelona, met Bartomeu, came back to England, was asked about it, and then said it would be impossible for him to take the job because of his connections to Espanyol. Now, at the time, I remember thinking, hmm, that's like an interesting, in, that's an interesting thing to say when you were not, ta- that was not your position a few weeks ago when you were first linked with the job. And now all of a sudden it's impossible. And if it was impossible then, then you could have said it back then. Um, and it has since come out, watching into this fascinating interview with the great Diego Torres in El Pais at the start of the month, uh, in which he said that he, he basically wanted to wanted to kill the story, and that's why he said it was impossible. He, he didn't want to disrespect Barcelona, but that now he now he wouldn't answer the question in the same way because in life you never know what will happen. And um, you know, putting that together with my own reporting, I think it's pretty clear that Pochettino would have been interested in the Barcelona job. I think it would have been a great job for him, but unfortunately, he hasn't got it. James, is there a is there a possibility that Maurizio Pochettino could become the new Alan Kerbishley? Without wanting to kind of yeah. give a comical <laughs> answer to a serious question, but but, but I mean, uh, in all seriousness, though, you know, it, did, it seems like he wasn't in consideration for the Juve job. Seemingly, if he was in consideration for the Barcelona job, they've kind of disregarded that quite quickly. We don't think the Manchester United job is going to come up this summer, probably. Whether or not he actually would have gone to Arsenal, who knows? But obviously, Arteta got that. I mean, what? Where is he going to go? Real Madrid. You'd th- you'd think Zidane wouldn't last that long. Oh well, yeah, but, I mean, he never does, does he? But I, you know, that that job has kind of become available before. Admittedly, when he when he was employed, Pochettino. But I, yeah, I, I, I mean, who? What, what is there to say that he will get that Madrid job when that comes up? I mean, I know that's been a conversation that's happened before. But you know, as Jack said, you can say the same about Barcelona. I just, I'm just curious what it is that's, that's stopping him getting these jobs. It just seems very strange to me that you know this guy's clearly like massively talented and he's done an incredible job over a prolonged period at a club where regular Champions League football even that looks an impossibility I think he is in consideration I think every big club every big club in Europe who has been uh, changing managers or thinking about changing managers recently has spoken to Pochettino so I think a lot of it is down to the fact that he wants to be certain before taking a job that it is it fits the parameters of what he's looking for in terms of everyone being on the same page in terms of objectives, which I think is something which maybe didn't get at Tottenham. Uh, look, he, if, if he wanted a job, he could have a job tomorrow. And, you know, we, we did a story, or David Ornstein did a story recently about him turning down Monaco and the chance to work again with, with Paul Mitchell. There was Benfica so as well who were... Who were Benfica, yeah, but, I mean, Newcastle, Newcastle. Sorry, sorry. Mon- Monaco, Benfica and Newcastle are, are not like at the level above Tottenham, right? When he left Tottenham, as bad as that That's true, got, yeah. Clearly, the expectation was that he was going to move on to a club where he'd be able to compete in the Champions League without the financial limitations that he had at Spurs. And we've seen these jobs come up, and he ha- and he he hasn't got them. I'm just I'm, and I'm not you know I'm not searching there's so- something underhand or there's there's some fault they see in him. I'm just surprised that it's happened. But how many jobs? I mean, really, there's what Juve and yeah, I think that would have been a good fit for him. But I wonder how much the COVID uh, effect, you know, how much more expensive he would have been than bringing in someone like Pirlo. I wonder if finance was was a factor there. There's really been that and Barca, hasn't there? I mean, have there been any other jobs you'd think would be at his level? I mean, isn't part of it just unlucky that say Real still have Zidane? But as I say, I don't think that will last that long. If if he if he isn't getting that job, then I would be, and he isn't in another job, then I would be 
I would find that very, very weird. But I just don't think there have been that many that would be at his level yet. The one that I thought he was really well suited for was was Bayern, or, or actually Dortmund. To be but he fair. couldn't take a job until May anyway, could he? I mean, he was on gardening leave, so we we are only talking about like four months during which we've been in the most like turbulent time in the last hundred years. Sure, but presumably he could have been bought out. I mean, you right. I mean, no jobs came up in that time really, but presumably he could have been bought out of that, right? If someone had wanted to pay Spurs, no. Yeah, but then but then that is another deterrent, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think he has been unlucky because of coronavirus in the sense that like he obviously wants to take a step upwards and what he he wants the chance to work with his more established players. He wants the chance to work for a team which has got more immediate pressure to win now. But obviously like the financial stratification of European football means that you're only looking about six or seven clubs and I think coronavirus means that there's probably been less churn in those jobs than you would normally have expected. Mm. Um and yeah, I think he, you know it would have Juve would have been a great job for him, and I think Barcelona would have been a great job for him. But I think while Zidane, I think is safe because Real Madrid have just won the league. I don't think Zidane will necessarily be there forever. But there's also PSG, like Pochettino, in fact, played for PSG. He gets the club, as they say, and um, he, you know, whether or not Tuchel is there next year, I imagine will be determined by what happens in Lisbon in the next week or so. Um, but I don't think. I think ultimately Pochettino would probably rather wait and take a good job rather than jumping in to something that is slightly less satisfactory. Although, of course, if, you know, in six months' time, if he's still out of work and he wants to try a kind of Europa League level club, like a club more on Tottenham's level, then I'm sure there will be plenty of offers still out there for him. Like, you know, the work that he's done isn't going to go away. It's just difficult to make that, it's just difficult to make that jump. And of course, his Manchester, you know, Manchester United job might come up, come up next season at some point. Manchester City job could come open next season. So there's, I think there will be options, but I think it might be that if he, uh, it, it might be the case that he now has to wait another six months uh, and it turns into a slightly longer sabbatical than expected. But I suppose lots of other people's lives are effectively on hold at the moment and he just becomes another one of them. Right, I think that's all we've got time for this week. But thank you very much to James and Charlie. Uh, thank you, producer Tom. Uh, shout out to listener Amnon, who I met in the pub on Kentish Channel Saturday. Thank you for your support of the podcast. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, we're, I think we're going to do a mailbag special. So we'll be asking for your questions, which you can send us in. Uh, and then we will be counting down the weeks before the Amazon documentary and the start of the new season. So we look forward to joining you all again then.